I'm Chad Rutherman. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And welcome to No Clip Pocket, a building with four walls and tomorrow inside. Today, we're going to be talking about Detention, a game that was released in 2017 and was developed by Taiwanese game developer Red Candle Games. Uh, so this game, Detention, is essentially like a it's a narrative-based 2D adventure game uh, that's really similar, in my eyes anyway, to the style of game that the Cat Lady sort of aspired to be, mm-hmm. uh, to immediately tie it back into an old episode. <laughs> it, it, it's got a lot of visual and kind of control similarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the biggest difference is that you do more with the mouse, yeah, you actually like anything with the mouse. Yeah, you actually point and click in this, mm. and in the Cat Lady, you use the arrow keys. And if I'm being honest, like I actually like the the simpler version of this better, like the version that the uh, the cat lady uses. I like it better too, actually. But the similarities between the games are kind of what drew me to this in the first place. And then the other thing that drew me to this is the ridiculous amount of critical acclaim that it got, which was absolutely wild. Uh, which I think is is mostly focused around. Uh, the story like the way that this game is written mm-hmm. uh, which i think is fair i think that it's it tells a really good story i think it's a little bit hard to follow at times um i think intentionally so yeah and i don't necessarily consider it like a knock against it uh because of the nature of the game but it is like i didn't i did not get it fully <laughs> on, yeah. on the first playthrough yeah and uh, at the end of the last episode, we were unsure of, like, the nationality of the development studio and those kinds of details. Uh, so to make up for that, this game takes place in Taiwan mm-hmm. in the 1960s during the White Terror period. Yes. Which is uh, was a not something I have much context or anything for, but while... Uh, making notes on the game i just read that it was a a particularly oppressive time uh in their history and that's kind of the angle of the story like the characters are like high school students who feel like really uh oppressed when like their individuality is kind of like squashed by the system yeah individuality and then like explicit sort of like freedoms specifically those like relating to what you can and cannot like participate in uh, uh yeah as anyone who listened to the Obra Din episode knows i'm not much of a history buff <laughs> no, me neither yeah uh, this was all news to me <laughs> and i think at the end of the last episode which i may or may not end up cutting out before it actually goes live oh yeah i forgot that we haven't done that I've, yet. yeah i haven't edited it yet dear listener yeah <laughs> He's a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, I think I, I actually refer to the developers as Chinese, which given that they're Taiwanese, uh, I'm, I'm clearly just part of the problem <laughs> here. Uh, <laughs> either way, though, um, let's begin talking about more of the uh, the mechanical and thematic elements, and then we'll get into the, the actual narrative uh, later. Because the narrative of the game isn't necessarily really... The events of the game, it's what the events are relating to in the real world, and it gets a little bit complicated. Right. So let's go with what we know best, pointing and, and clicking. clicking. Uh, <laughs> so there are a couple of main mechanics uh, that drive this game, and 
they're clearly secondary to the goals. And uh, the first, obviously, is point-and-click adventure stuff, like uh, solving puzzles, and that's all. And then (laughs) (laughs) the other one is, uh, like, enemy avoidance. The fact that they actually put obstacles in your way, which is something that pretty rarely gets done that aren't explicit roadblocks. These are, like, little prescribed challenges that you have to... Uh, get past in order to proceed into the game. Yeah, they're like roaming enemies. Mm. Like I think they're scripted, but they kind of feel like they're random when, yeah. you pl- when you're playing it. And I actually think the first one is actually really well implemented. There's a couple of different enemies throughout it. Uh, and I think it's like what you have to do is you can, there's an audio cue, like you can kind of hear them moving around before you see them. And then you have to know to hold your breath uh, that's one of the, uh, the like the only enemy interaction mechanic that you have, uh, and you hold your breath so they like can't hear you or sense you or like know that you're there or whatever in the fiction of the game, and uh, and it actually creates like some pretty tense moments I think, but I feel like they kind of drop the ball in that they don't really develop it at all. Like I think all of the enemies work basically the same way. Yeah, I I agree. I think that the while the design of the enemy is good, I think that it's one of those things where it's well implemented at the start because you don't understand it fully, and so there are things that you want to try and do, and like you push your luck a little bit. Like you'll be like, maybe if I get if I get this close, is it gonna do anything? Uh, and they even give you a little bit of leeway with that. While you can't like run by enemies, you can take a hit and try again, right? Uh, which I think is valuable. Uh, but it's one of those things where once you master it, it's boring. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's, and it becomes that way uh, pretty quickly, depending on player skill level and all that. But it's it's it becomes one of those things where this game becomes richer when you play it multiple times, but the actual mechanics of the game become a lot weaker. Yeah. It compounds with the fact that you already know all the solutions to the puzzles, uh, and it makes it kind of like... I felt when after we finished it, hey, I should play this game again to see if I can kind of get the hints at the story that they were giving. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about the mechanics, and I went, maybe I'll watch a YouTube video. Yeah. And that became more enticing because I didn't want to play the game parts of it again. Right. Uh, yeah, and the even after you get used to it, though, the first enemies can still kind of sneak up on you. Uh, and... As they go on, like, the newer enemies, that becomes less and less true. Like, the ones that you had to turn around and hold your breath. Yeah, the lantern guys. Yeah, the lantern guys, like, are so slow and lumbering, and you just kind of have to stand there. Uh, And once you get the, like, it's a little tense the first time, because you have to get the timing down, because they're so slow. And you actually had to wait to hold your breath to, like, the last moment Mm -hmm. that you can, so that you can hold it the whole time. But... Other than that, you know, it's yeah. just really tedious. <laughs> yeah, they could have probably tweaked uh, if this was something that they wanted to improve on. And they do have a second game out, but nobody can play it because it got taken off the store. 
uh, because of pressures from the Chinese government, which is a weird fucking thing to say about an adventure game. But uh, <laughs> it did happen, and uh, so maybe they have tweaked it. But I-, I feel like if they had decreased the amount of time that you could hold your breath and then speed up the enemies a little bit, yeah, uh, it would make it... It's not going to be action-packed, but no, it's going to no. make the encounters Just, last a little bit less yeah. time. If they could make them yeah, a little bit more like unexpected mm-hmm. and not so time-consuming, I think they'd, they'd land better. Yeah. Because I like that they're... they're pretty infrequent and i think that's appropriate it just the little things i think need to be tweaked but i, I largely like the implementation but yeah like i said ne- it needs a little polishing yeah it ne- ne- needs a couple of knobs turned yeah uh yeah so that's that's really about it as far as like that the implementation goes i do like their death mechanic where it sends you back to that shrine and then you walk up the hill mm-hmm. and then you occasionally encounter some like story relevant characters and stuff who are like babbling like the guy in the bloodborne dlc yeah <laughs> and that like that's very cool and creepy and it gives you sort of the atmosphere that the game wants and then it takes you back to your last save point um but the game is also very forgiving so you get to keep anything that you had so it doesn't really it barely sets you back at all yeah uh which i think i I think is a good thing now yeah i really like that it has save rooms i feel like everything just auto saves now yeah oh because it does uh (laughs) (laughs) but i i really like save rooms it reminds me a little bit of resident evil but you know like you said much more forgiving uh and the fact that they're like shrines are contextualized in the game world like i think that it makes it have this kind of like spiritual ritual kind of feel to it like i think it really plays into the the atmosphere and like just kind of the feel of the game yeah in a way that i really like yeah i think that the fact that they are shrines and everything and it actually gives it context makes it actually a little bit better than resident evil where it's just like a typewriter which doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense uh, it's like you're writing down what happened, uh, right? Like a journal in Pokemon <laughs> or whatever. And then they, I guess, sands of time it where they're like, "Oh, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I wasn't eaten alive." <laughs> uh, yeah. So then uh, the other like actual game element of this uh, is the puzzles, and I was curious how you found them. Uh, we played this together, right. which made it. I don't think neither of us were really like yelling out answers to anything. No, uh, I I have down here in my notes that I found this to be like an appropriate or like a nice difficulty level for like a casual playthrough. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's if you're looking for like a really challenging point and click, uh, I don't like. It's not gonna meet that expectation. But like, there were a couple of puzzles later in the game that were kind of confusing and took some time but for the most part i thought it was a pretty smooth experience like a nice satisfying spot and as usual i was glad to have you there for the one puzzle where you had to know what the fuck (laughs) notes are which i am not good at yeah Uh, but yeah this this is a great example of why we're talking about this game on pocket and we talked about broken age on the regular podcast because broken age is a point and click adventure game in the same way that this game is except it is brutal uh in the second half yeah <laughs> and then this it's also game way is, longer it, it is also longer it's not like 
so much longer, but I think that a lot of it is because, like, if you knew how to do the puzzles in both games Mm -hmm. and just, like, speed ran both of them, (laughs) this game would come out shorter still, but I don't think by that much. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah, I I think the puzzles are are on the easier side, but I I appreciate that because I think if adventure games want to claw their way back into relevance, they really have to appeal to more than people who are willing to make, like, a... Uh, like a cork board uh, <laughs> red yarn yeah. connections between all the things in the game. Right. Yeah. I think the problem with old adventure game style puzzles is that they're not challenging in the way that puzzles are challenging. Like they're challenging because there's just some kind of like either pixel hunting or some kind of like crazy leap of logic that, needs to be taken to get to the answer it's like you can just like take a step back from that and just kind of simplify things and just kind of craft like regular puzzles <laughs> it lands a lot better i think and i think that a game like this uh and i'm i'm reaching here because like i, I want to say anything other than the cat lady uh but these sort of like supernaturally based adventure games mm, franbo yeah, Franbo is actually another great example of this, uh, which, I don't know, maybe one day. Uh, we'll finish it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, the, yeah, games with this sort of a slant, I think, lend themselves to making puzzles a little bit simpler, uh, which is weird because the things that you're doing don't necessarily make sense in the real world, but because of what they're allowed to do using sort of metaphysical elements, they can make more specific puzzle pieces which make them easier to Mm -hmm. figure out it's like having ghost bucks in this game is like the corner piece of a jigsaw puzzle whereas like you find some duct tape in a different adventure game and that's like uh one of the regular puzzle pieces that's in the middle of an ocean or something (laughs) yeah it's like this could go anywhere and potentially be useful. So I just have to try it every time I have an ability mm. to. But when you're given something really specific, you know where to look to put it. And I think uh, that that's as far as that metaphor will ever go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a certain kind of like video game logic sweet spot that I, I think this hits mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. So yeah, a, uh, uh, graphics, A+, plus, uh, <laughs> puzzles, <laughs> give it like a... An A, A minus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since you brought up the visuals there, uh, I just wanted to comment that that think that's where it most specifically parallels the Cat Lady. Like the look of the game, it has these. The characters are animated in such a way where you can feel like you can almost kind of see the rig. Yeah. <laughs> inside of the the character model. Um. And the backgrounds often use, like, real pictures as textures. And it it just is a really cool look. And it's really effective in horror, kind of like FMV was for horror in the 90s. Or, like, it lets you show, like, more realistic detail than you can otherwise. And you can show creepy, fleshy, bloody-looking, you know, things. Like, some disturbing imagery that way. Mm -hmm. And it really works in the game's favor and just to build on that like also having the very realistic sort of like background imagery like the you take a screenshot of of this game with no characters on the on it 
and you would you could be convinced that it was like a photograph that somebody just put it in like a black and white filter over or something. Mm-hmm. It's never quite detailed enough. It's got like a collage feel. Like, it feels like you took pieces of real photographs and, like, kind of overlapped them. Arranged them yeah. together. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, because it never quite has enough detail to really be realistic. Uh, it gives it sort of a, um, what do you call it, like an uncanny quality uh, to everything. And I think that adds with the, the uneasy atmosphere. For sure. And then, like, the kind of weirdly animated characters on top of it also mm-hmm. add to it. But uh, um, I just wanted to comment on the like progression of the visuals in the game, because it starts out fairly grounded, you're just like in a school, yeah, um, with like a typhoon coming, and it slowly progresses with a like, creepier and creepier visuals, and I just like I thought that had a really nice like curve to it, like it it. It had a nice pace. Yeah, they don't even introduce the more, like, bizarre and surreal enemies until, like, the midway point uh, with the the lantern guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's that, like, one weird moment where there's, like, a big thing that's chasing you. Yeah. But uh, it's, like, used appropriately. It's not, like, a jump scare or anything, and it builds up to it. So that one can kind of slide. But it also sort of marks where it goes into the more bizarre. Yeah, like the like the last third of the game has some more like surreal dream-like stuff in it. And I just thought it built to it really nice. Yeah. And I do actually, because of that, I think that the second act of the game is sort of my favorite as far as like tone and, and narrative goes. And uh, to add to that, the visuals are right at that midway point between just a school and just a dream where you have those like the the puppet show thing and like you're picking hands up off the ground it's like it's weird because it you still feel like you're in a semi-realistic grounded environment but then the puzzle objects you're getting are increasingly morbid and and bizarre Mm -hmm. and i don't know it just it hits a spot for me that i really like if there was another game that spent its entire duration in the in that that would be like my ideal uh, <laughs> aesthetic i think yeah i feel like you need that contrast though probably it, it it keeping it in that by itself definitely uh puts you in danger of being too silly mm-hmm. you, because, you become desensitized yeah and it becomes really you end up with like a psychonaut situation at that <laughs> yeah. point where you're like this is like weird but like i'm so used to it they're using it in funny ways ha 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 right and it loses its creepy elements yeah. are there any uh specific puzzles or like moments you wanted to shout out i definitely i already mentioned the uh the hand thing and the note and the piano, the piano puzzle one. and i think that those were good i also liked using the eight track player and finding the right channel that gave you the song you had to play Mm -hmm. so even though i would have been physically incapable of (laughs) of solving that puzzle i really liked its setup and payoff uh but the one right after that is probably my favorite puzzle in the game which is after you do the puppet show but the entire reason isn't because of the puzzle itself it's more just i liked the uh transition because it goes from that scene of the puppets and then the puppet like has a puppet gun and like mm-hmm. shoots somebody and then it transfers into that 
the dream sequence with the fish and shit. Right. And it's real weird, and I loved the sequencing of it so much uh, that that stood out to me probably more than anything else. Yeah, it, that's what... That's definitely got some like really strong imagery, mm-hmm. like the the puppet show, that like theming I thought was really cool. But um, just go back to the piano puzzle real quick. I just wanted to comment on that because in Year Walk, there's a music puzzle, and we talked about that about a year ago now. I think <laughs> yeah, it was a Halloween episode. Um, and in that. Uh, we talked about how even though I have some familiarity with music, it was hard for me to tell what I was supposed to do, which made that puzzle like pretty difficult. Yeah. But in this, they think they do a way better job in that the song, like the thing, little riff that you have to play is like really simple. Mm-hmm. And like it, the it's more about like finding what you're supposed to play and then like remembering it so you can execute it and i think that works out a lot better as somebody who never participated in this <laughs> but frequently sat behind people who were doing this uh-huh. uh it reminds me a little bit of like when people are tuning an instrument and they have like the something that's in tune whether it's a tuner itself or another instrument of the same type uh-huh. and they'll play a note and then you'll play what should be the same note, and then you slowly tweak it until you get there. Uh-huh. Trying to like work out that song was like you're like you hear the it's like bing, and then you press you're like dong, you're like that's not it. Hold yeah. on, and you move up <laughs> one more, and like you keep trying to do that until you find the right thing, and then mm-hmm. they even put like little uh, like bloody fingerprints on the keys that you're supposed to hit, yep. which helps like particularly tone-deaf people like <laughs> yeah. me to sort of narrow down. Because if somebody gave me a piano in real life and was just like, play these three notes, I'd be <laughs> like, I'll be here until next Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I have to try every note in sequence <laughs> until I get it right. Uh, so, I yeah, that it, it's just a solidly designed version of that puzzle. Yeah. Like, more so than I think any other music-based puzzle I've seen in a game. Yeah, it's like the right level of complexity, I think, that anybody can do it. Did, but, you, uh, did you have a standout? Or yes. Was that, yeah, was I that did. also yours? No, no I, I did have one, but I just wanted to also comment on that. Uh, my favorite thing that the game does is uh, in the later part of the game with the radio, mm. where you have to like tune the radio to the three different stations, and it doing so takes you to a different place Mm -hmm. and i think there's significance to like the the songs like like if they're like different era like they represent different years and time and like that takes was where it takes you to but i'm not 100 percent certain on that uh but i just thought that was a really cool idea like and having to like jump around between the three of them i I just thought that was a really neat uh like visual mechanical conceit thing that they had going on. Yeah, I, I I do like that a lot, and I think that in most games I would find the having to go back to the room more tedious than I did, and it just kind of goes to show how far like a visual like a visually interesting change is uh, to getting your puzzle to like click and mm-hmm. to not wear on the viewer. Uh, 
good shit. Yeah, contrasts nice with just exploring the school, which you'd been doing up to that point. And in each different era, there isn't a, like, a lot to explore, so it's mm-hmm. easy to come back and jump around. Yeah, it's so, like your little hub. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just thought that was really cool. It, st- yeah, it stands out in my mind. I uh, think... Oh. I was just going to... The only other thing I have that I wanted to talk about is the notebook that you have. Um, you have a notebook in your inventory, and I thought that was a really effective, like, and thematic and non-intrusive, like way to deliver like backstory and lore because like if you don't care you never have to open it for anything right and if you do you can read it at your leisure and get a bunch of uh details if you want them yeah i think if you don't care then this game is probably not for you but at the same time i do it's it is a good that's like a a standard that i think games generally should follow if your game isn't entirely about its history then don't make the player deal with it (laughs) i think no i i agree yeah but uh the the notebook in the game is like a not entirely diegetic but partially so menu system that i think just works Mm -hmm. uh definitely a good shout out i would say yeah plus like they do an interesting job like the fact that this game was translated presumably and was not written in english Mm -hmm. uh makes the like the coherence of the notebook uh stand out to me like i think that the the translation team fumbles here and there but like largely did just a fantastic job at making this like readable to a western audience yeah we totally agree yeah uh, so that leaves us with uh, the narrative of the game, which we, we <laughs> should talk about because it's what kind of got it a lot of press. Yeah. Uh, so this is a this is a very solidly designed game, all told. Uh, but the thing that it revolves around is the story, which uh, starts with you as a kid in a school, and then you find another character and then your player character is killed off instantaneously. Yeah, classic bait and switch. Right, which we obviously love. Uh, mm-hmm. Big fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I have it written down that their names are Way, that's the boy, and, and Fang. Re- Ray. Ray, yeah. It's like the Fang girl. Ray something. Yeah. yeah. Just saying. Yeah, it, which makes it a little bit confusing. Yeah, because they rhyme. A lot of the difficulty I had following the plot came from the fact that I just like couldn't quite keep all the characters in mind. Uh, like there, I, I didn't realize until reading a plot summary that the like book club head's name was was I think Finn or Rin or something. Uh, it's another three letter. Yeah, Rin sounds like correct to me but I, I i i'm not sure it's wait yes it's it's yin actually. oh yin <laughs> which is also close uh but uh so the, like a lot of my difficulty in following it comes from just those names being difficult for me to identify mm-hmm. and I, I actually had the yin character confused with uh, a different character during one of the like sort of penultimate scenes in the game where she comes to talk to the counselor. Right. And I was like, who is this person? Is this, is it Ray's <laughs> mom? <laughs> Which it just is not at all. Yeah. I, it, it can just, it's really hard to follow a story that's 
got this kind of historical context when you are not at all familiar with the culture that it comes right. from. There's just a lot of details that you need to like file in your mind and it's hard to keep up with. Yeah. But, uh, so, so the, the game's plot sort of takes you on this roundabout kind of way of getting to where it's supposed to be. It's pretty clear early in the game based on the conversation that, uh, way and Ray are having, um, about sort of like oh well that you know like this guy used to be military he's really rough he's had people killed before like it's they set up this uh militaristic sort of setting Mm -hmm. uh that you live in but then it supplants it with the like spiritual horror elements of the game uh once uh ray wakes up again um in the auditorium for the second time and the story that it unfolds as you go through involves this romantic, uh, like, entanglement between Ray and her guidance counselor, or school count, whatever the mm-hmm. count, he's some kind of counselor. <laughs> I-, I think he's the guidance counselor. Yeah. yeah that st- stood out as, like, the core of the story to me. Mm-hmm. And, and they go through it, and it is, like, sort of the crux of, of all the events that happen. Uh, but the game doesn't really necessarily resolve it. Yeah, well, it's not that they don't resolve it because he does die, which is a, okay. kind of, sort of a resolution. Fair enough. Not a good, not like a positive <laughs> resolution where you're like, oh, well, thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I would say the game doesn't like talk down to the relationship. Like they don't put it forward as like a moral thing like mm-hmm. it's not a quandary yeah they just kind of present it as it is yeah and then it it loops back to that militaristic setting again near the end because uh after all of the events of the game she like there's a, a book club that is reading for forbidden books banned books whatever you want to say like things that the government doesn't want them to read uh she exposes the book club because she thinks the person in charge of the book club is trying to like split up her and the counselor, mm-hmm. and then the people in the book club are sent to prison. One of them runs away, and the other one, and and the counselor is killed. And that is uh, sort of like the overall, I think, like defining part of of what maybe not the narrative, but the theme of the game is the story of the uh, like violent oppression that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the game broaches it from such like a distant angle that I think that it it does a really good job of making you actually consider it. You know, yeah. and there's a nice contrast in there between like high school drama mm-hmm. and like serious like militaristic uh, like power structures. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I I do really enjoy that. And even though I didn't like, there were character elements that I didn't understand when i was going through it the first time uh the like last third of the game kind of hammers home what it wants you to think Mm -hmm. i think that the end of the game is a little bit too long yeah uh which is weird because of how short the game is but i think that they introduced this whole like puzzle element with uh ray's shadow that I think goes on for just a little bit too long. Yeah. But I guess... I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, there's multiple endings, though. Is that the part with the mirror? Like, the mirror puzzle where you walk back and forth in front of the... 
Oh, and the no, it's actually well, maybe it's like right before, right after that. Okay, because you walk back and forth, then it plays a little scene, mm-hmm. and then the end of the game, you talk to your shadow and she asks you questions. Right, right, and I guess depending on your answers to those questions, you can get one of two endings, uh, and <laughs> while not a good closure to the story, uh, the bad ending, which we didn't get is brutal and kind of badass. Uh, I actually didn't uh, read about that. I'm excited. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) what happens in the end, if you don't show remorse for your actions, because basically that's how they uh, divide it up. It's like they ask you a question, and if you say, like, I wouldn't, you lead the questions into the era of, I probably wouldn't do it again, given the chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you get the scene with paper airplane, like uh, you get the last little thing, and then you get the ending with uh, Way as an old man going back to the school and shit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then if you don't, then the shadow's like, you're not like me. And then they, you wake back up in the auditorium, and the shadow gives you a noose, and you hang yourself, and then the game starts over. So uh, uh, it's like okay. a, that's that's cool. Yeah, so it's like this whole like sort of like I guess Buddhist esque like yeah, cycle of themes. Yeah, and it's really really good. And I wish that we sucked worse. I guess because <laughs> <laughs> the bad ending the, is really neat. The old man coming back to the school, the also cyclical themes. Also true, and yeah. they did a cool credit sequence yeah. also, which I always like. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like they pulled off the rare hat trick of both endings being cool. It's true. We talked even a game that we both really enjoyed in Life is Strange. A lot of the things that we talked about when we were talking about the game on the podcast infinite years ago was <laughs> one of these endings feels like the ending they wanted you to go with, and the other one feels like a like a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like this game actually has a good. Uh, ending in both directions is surprising. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything else? I think that's it. Oh, also, this game's on the Switch. Oh, did it come I, out? Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Just thought that was interesting. Like, I didn't know this had that kind of notoriety. I thought it was a much smaller thing. Yeah, the the when I mentioned earlier that it got a lot of positive press, a lot of might have been a bit of an overreach, but it definitely uh in the circles that I pay attention to, it's been talked about and people generally yeah, like, like it. Yeah, like just playing it it feels like the kind of thing that would only ever exist on Steam. We're getting there with the Switch, man. Yeah. First, can we get Cat Lady on the Switch? Can we get Cat Lady on the Make Switch? Make it happen. Is it, is it first we get Hollow Miami and like another port of Resident Evil 4, but then when you play your cards right, you also get Panty Hunter. <laughs> so <laughs> Weird number of panty-themed games on the Switch. At least like three, and, it's, <laughs> and the fact that it's a growing catalog is worrying. Uh... <laughs> Thank you for listening to No Clip Pocket this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Tamashi. Uh, that's T-A-M-A-S-H-I-I. Uh, because it is Halloween time again. Uh, Ooh. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that that is a, like, creepy, maybe not entirely horror, depending on your 
proclivities puzzle platformer uh it's an indie game it's on steam and on itch if you prefer that uh until that time you can get a hold of us all of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com where you can find links to our twitter our youtube uh all of our old episodes are up there uh check all of those out there's actually a ton of games related to this one somehow like the cat lady as aforementioned we have other adventure games we played broken age uh i think your walk actually has kind of a similar yeah like folklore based puzzle horror uh, thing going on harvester harvester that is a point and click, point and click. <laughs> so maybe tonally a little bit separated yeah. but it's it's definitely there yeah this is definitely a game that was firmly in our wheelhouse yeah yep yep Oh, there's nothing else I normally say here. Yeah. Scan those radio stations until you find the subscribe button. <laughs> subscribe to our radio station, <laughs> NCLP, the rock station. station. <laughs> yeah, I'm clipping, but I also think you're clipping. Clipping, clip. I think we always clip yeah, a little. Yeah, we always I, clip. I think it's unavoidable. That's ironic given yeah (laughs) (laughs) we are clipping yes yes clip welcome to yes clip